Good evening. I invite you to take a Bible in hand and turn to Matthew's Gospel. If you're using a Bible in the pew rack, our main verse this evening is found on page 807. I want us to look again as we began this series last week looking at Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. We will begin there again tonight. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you were not here last week, we began a spring, winter, spring, evening sermon series on the names of Jesus. For the students who were here in the fall, we were looking at hard questions for Christianity, and this would be a great compliment to what we spent our Sunday evenings doing in the fall, is now looking at the person who Christianity is all about, Jesus, and doing so using the different names we find in Scripture. And so for a second week in a row, we're in Matthew chapter 1, where we have another name for Jesus in the same passage that we looked at last Sunday evening. Before I read verses 18 through 25, let me pray for us. Would you join me in prayer again? Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening, we come to you hungry, we come to you thirsty, and so we ask that as we think about your son Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God who came to save us, that it would be bread for our souls, that it would be living water for our souls. We need your Holy Spirit to rightly see and understand and receive your son through your word tonight. So I ask for your spirit's help and I ask for your spirit for all those who are hearing. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Well, here we have a second name for Jesus in Matthew's gospel here in the first chapter. The name, Emmanuel, is a transliteration 
of a Hebrew word. And what does that mean? It just means that uh, there was no Greek equivalent, and no one created a Greek equivalent uh, for this word. They just took the Hebrew word, and then they transferred word, letter, from one alphabet to another, from one language to another. So, Emmanuel is, is a Hebrew word. And like the name Jesus, it comes from ancient Hebrew. It comes from the time of Isaiah, the prophet, and in his ministry. This is seven centuries before the birth of Jesus. However, the name Emmanuel is unlike the name Jesus because as far as we know, no one called Jesus Emmanuel in his days on earth. But it is his name and that in Jesus, all that this name means finds its fulfillment. The title description. All the meaning of the name Emmanuel finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And the name means, as we are told in the passage, at the end of verse 23, God with us. So three things about Emmanuel this evening. I'll give it to you here at the beginning so you can track with my outline. The name Emmanuel teaches that we cannot save ourselves. It teaches you that you cannot save yourself. The name Emmanuel demonstrates how God kept his promise to save. It demonstrates how God kept his promise to save. And then lastly tonight, we will consider how the name Emmanuel means that the Lord will never leave those he saves. The Lord will never leave those he saves. So the first thing it teaches you and I is that we can't save ourselves. It teaches you, you cannot save yourself. You need a savior outside of yourself. Now, here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, this is the first of a long list of prophecies that Matthew uses to show that Jesus is the long-awaited, expected Messiah, the one that God promised that he would send to deliver his people. Matthew does this 10 times in 28 chapters. 10 times he says, this is how Jesus fulfills the promise of the coming Messiah. Here's the first, the promise of Emmanuel. Now, we know this name from Christmas time, and we think of it as wonderful news, because it is wonderful news. But when we consider the origins of this name, it's in Isaiah's ministry, it's in Isaiah chapter 7, and it is in a prophecy to King Ahaz of Judah, who was a, a wicked king. And we actually learn that the origins of the name Emmanuel come in bad news. It's a striking thing to consider. It's not something we would associate with the name Emmanuel. The story in Isaiah chapter 7 is this. There's Pekah, the king of Israel, and there's Rezin, the king of Aram, and they are marching on Jerusalem. They have already caused all kind of problems in Judah. There's been many issues. They are wreaking havoc across Judah, and they're coming to the capital. 
And Ahaz, the king of Judah, and the people, they're terrified. So here you have two co-conspirators, Israel in the north, and then another nation that is coming together, and they're seeking to end David's dynasty there in Judah. Now this is a problem, because God had promised David that there would always be a descendant on the throne. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, the Lord told David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And here is the historical context, as Ralph Davis puts it. The Lord made a promise to David, and the whole structure and flow and hope of world history will rest on the existence of a line of kings in a puny Near Eastern state, no larger than Connecticut and Rhode Island. Nothing against Connecticut or Rhode Island, but that's the size of Judah. But ultimately, that's not the bad news of the story. Ahaz thought that was the bad news. The bad news was this, that Ahaz is unfaithful to the Lord. God sends the prophet Isaiah to announce that the invasion will fail that these two kings will not succeed in taking out Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter seven, the prophet offers the king a sign that God will deliver Judah from the threat of Israel and Aram. But Ahaz refuses the sign. Now he tries to cloak it in religious language. You go read it in Isaiah and say that he doesn't wanna test the Lord. But the truth is that he has a plan to save himself. His plan is to appeal to the king of Assyria, who's a powerful king. And by way of bribe and by way of allegiance, seeking to gain the king of Assyria's favor and defense and help against these two other kings. And so therefore, he refuses the sign that the Lord will deliver Judah because he already has a plan for deliverance. So the prophet tells Ahaz, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 10 and following. Ask the sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's the bad news. Ahaz chooses Assyria against Emmanuel. So the bad news... Isaiah delivers that Emmanuel will not come in Ahaz's day. If you look there in the context of Isaiah chapter 7, it describes destruction and a day of desolation. And then, while everything is in ruins and while the dynasty looks meager and weak, the virgin will conceive and Emmanuel will come. And we see that play out in the life of God's people in the coming of Christ. But let's think about it for a moment. Ahaz is in trouble. He conceives his own plan of salvation. 
The glaring flaw is that his plan was reliant upon man and man alone. We can imagine his political advisors telling him, look, Isaiah the prophet's great. He's got a lot of good things to say. But he deals with all that word of the Lord stuff. What we need here is diplomacy. We don't need theology right now. We need practical solutions, pragmatic solutions. So Ahaz, stick with your plan. Let's reach out to the king of Assyria and see what kind of deal can be brokered. Now Assyria will come in and will destroy the threat against Judah. But later in Ahaz's life, the king of Assyria will turn on him. It tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, Tiglath-Pilezar, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. For Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and the princes and gave tribute to king Assyria, but it did not help him. Now there's quite the contrast between this descendant of David, Ahaz, and the one that we began with tonight in Matthew chapter 1, isn't there? Did you notice there in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Hear then, O house of David. When Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz, he is looking beyond just Ahaz's day, and he's speaking to all those who would be descendants of David. And when the, the angel came to Joseph, how does he address Joseph? In verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, son of David. Now Joseph had his own dilemma, didn't he? He's engaged, he's betrothed. Betrothal in that day was such that it was as if you were married, but it was a period of a year in preparation for the consummation of that marriage, and he had not consummated that marriage with his fiancee Mary. And she is found to be with child. Joseph is in quite the embarrassing and shameful, scandalous dilemma. And so he has concocted his own plan. He has said, look, I don't want to make matters worse for this young woman. And so I will divorce her and put her away quietly. This is my solution to the problem. But like Ahaz... He is confronted with the word of God and he has a choice whether or not to believe it and receive it and trust it or to stick with his own plan. In contrast to Ahaz, Joseph in his dilemma, in his need, abandons his plan and trusts the word from the Lord. There is a repentance by Joseph. He turns from his scheme and he receives and he rests upon the promise of God alone. We begin tonight with the reminder that we cannot save ourselves and all attempts at doing so will fail. Let me just ask you, where do you look for your salvation, both in things related to this life and things that are most important for all eternity? Where do you look in your distress? Two descendants of David, two different responses, two different responses to the promise of Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, everyone, you and I, it teaches us that we cannot save ourselves 
And we must look outside ourselves to God for salvation. That's the first thing this evening. The second thing is that the name Emmanuel demonstrates how God keeps his promise to save. How does God keep his promise to save? Ever since sin entered the world, God had promised a solution to the problem. And the story of Scripture is demonstrating how fallen man needs a divine solution to the problem of sin. But how will God resolve things? We have a transcendent God, and so sin against a transcendent God is a transcendent problem. And the shock of Scripture is that the transcendent God comes near in order to deal with this problem. It's an imminent solution to a transcendent problem. It's the imminent solution of Emmanuel. And that's what we there see both through Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. That the virgin will give birth to God with us. That Mary has a miraculous conception by the power of the Holy Spirit in which the eternal son takes on a nature like ours in order to be the only and the perfect mediator for sinners. It's the imminent solution to the transcendent problem. God himself keeps his promise by coming in person. Now, it was required that the Savior, the mediator, would be God because the wrath that sin deserved would crush humanity. But it was also required that he would be man in order that he might rightly represent mankind in that substitution, taking on the wrath of God. But there's another thing happening here, isn't there? It's not just that Emmanuel is God with us, but as we saw from Isaiah, there's this tie to Emmanuel, to the Davidic dynasty, that is answering God's long promise that he would provide a king and an everlasting eternal king through David's line. Now it's obvious that when it tells us that the virgin will conceive, that the descendant of David will be no ordinary king. But Jesus He's not physically a descendant of David. He receives his human nature from Mary, who is not a descendant of David. Joseph is the descendant of David. Joseph is not the biological father. But what was the angel's instructions to Joseph? The angel's instructions to Joseph in Matthew 121 was, she will bear a son, Mary, and you, so Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Here, at the end of Matthew chapter 1, we see two important things that Joseph does. He follows the instructions of the angel to name this child who is not his. And he continues on with this betrothal and engagement and marries a woman who is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. In doing so, He is adopting Jesus as his adopted son. 
And now Jesus is in the line of King David. He has entered human history by miracle of the Holy Spirit, and now he is officially of the lineage of David by the adoption of Joseph, by Joseph naming and marrying and marrying Mary. So here we see that when God comes, it is the king of heaven who comes and dwells and takes his place on the throne of David. And Matthew's gospel presents this beautiful picture of the king of heaven who comes and dwells with sinners. He comes to be the friend of sinners. And I want us to take a moment to consider just the, the many ways that Matthew describes what happens when Emmanuel shows up and he comes to dwell with sinners. Well, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, he went out throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and every affliction among the people. When God came to dwell with the sick, he healed them. When he came to dwell with the demon-possessed, he liberated them. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 says that those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, he healed them. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that when he came to dwell with the poor in spirit, he blessed them. When he came to dwell with those who mourned, he comforted them. Matthew chapter 6 says, when he came to dwell with the anxious, he taught them that God cares for them. Matthew chapter 7 teaches that when he came to dwell with the judgmental, he warned them of their hypocrisy and called them to repent. Matthew chapter 8 shows us that when he came to dwell with lepers, he did what no one else would do. He touched them, and then he healed them and made them clean. Matthew 14 and 15, when he came to dwell with those who were hungry, he fed them. In Matthew chapter 15, we also see that when he came to dwell with the handicapped, he restored them. The mute began to speak. The crippled became healthy. The lame began to walk. The blind would see. And they glorified the God of Israel because Emmanuel was in their midst. But above all, he came with the lost and dwelt among lost sinners to save them. He is the shepherd of Matthew chapter 18 who leaves the 99 to go and find one lost sheep. Now, Ben Glad sees this to be extremely important, and it's right there for us in Matthew's gospel. He gives us these two names, and he puts them together because when Emmanuel comes, he comes to save sinners. And so Ben Glad put it this way, the name Jesus means the Lord saves, whereas the name Emmanuel means God with us. By bringing the two names together, Matthew wants his readers to understand each title in light of each other. Jesus is the Lord incarnate who has come to save humanity and to dwell with them. The Lord incarnate who has come to save sinners and to be with them. 
Now, we need to be clear that if Ahaz looked for a secular, man-focused, man-driven solution to his problem, there is another trap that sinners would look to a religious solution to their problems, but any religious solution that is not based upon Emmanuel will fail us, will let us down. It will not be the solution that we need. Religion without Emmanuel does not work. Maybe you've heard this before, but all the religions of the world present a solution this way. You're at the bottom of the mountain. God is at the top of the mountain. And here is the way up the mountain. Every spirituality, every religion says, here is the route. Here is the path. The problem is that Psalm 24 says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Who can ascend to that mountain to the top to get to God? Only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. No religion apart from Emmanuel can offer that. No one can ascend the hill of the Lord apart from coming through Emmanuel. But the message and what God demonstrates in keeping his promises saved in Emmanuel is that God didn't just say, here is the way up the mountain, that God himself descended from the mountain to where the sinners are. God must come down the mountain. We need Emmanuel. There is no way up apart from him. And so he comes down and he walks the road that we walk. He feels our pain. He experiences the joys and sorrows of life. And then he is betrayed by the kiss of a friend. He is lifted up on a cruel cross. He is punished for the transgressions of the world. He suffers to save the ones whom he came to dwell among. And through his death, he looses the bonds of sin and slavery. The very claims of hell are broken when Emmanuel comes to dwell and die on a cross. The name Emmanuel demonstrates how God keeps his promise to save by entering the line of David to be the savior king that you need. Lastly this evening, the name Emmanuel means that the Lord will never leave those he saves. Never, ever leave the ones that he saves. God with us marks the beginning of Matthew's gospel Matthew 1.23, which we read earlier. It's almost right in the middle of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am 
among them. Now Matthew closes his gospel, the very last phrase in Matthew 28, verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The good news of Emmanuel isn't that just he just, he came and accomplished his mission, but those through which he is redeemed, he never leaves, and that is his promise, and Matthew wants you to see this about Emmanuel. He structures his whole gospel basically around it. And we could even say it's more than just the gospel of Matthew. God with us is the entire trajectory of redemption. Or more simply put, it's the story of all of history. God dwelling with man. God designed the entire cosmos to be his sanctuary. God promises Adam and Eve life forever in his presence if they obey his commands. They disobey. And they are expelled from the blessed presence of God in the garden. God promises Israel the nation that if they walk with him and obey his laws, he will dwell with them intimately. So he puts his tabernacle in their midst with the holy of holies right there in the middle of the nation and they disobey too. And they are expelled and exiled. And here, in the person of Jesus, in Emmanuel, God comes to humanity. He comes and dwells, completes the work of salvation, physically ascends to heaven after the resurrection, and pours out his spirit that his spirit would reside and dwell within all his people. He tells us, I am with you always to the end of the age. He will never leave. He will never forsake. But there will be an end to this age in which the presence of God dwelling in the believer's heart by the indwelling Holy Spirit gives way to something even greater. At the end of the age, their God comes down and makes all things new. In Revelation 21, verse 3, John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That the end of the age, that all those whom Christ dwells in by faith through the Spirit, that is what we are awaiting. Christ now, he stands in the place of honor. He is crowned with glory on the highest throne. And if you belong to him, he is praying for you right now. He's praying for you until Either the Father calls you home 
or heaven descends to earth. There will be a day that the skies will part and the hope of heaven so real to each of us who are trusting in Christ. We will give glory to Emmanuel on that day. On that day, we will know that we are beloved and that our beloved is ours. Our testimony will be that he has brought poor, vile sinners into his house and we stand upon his merit. There is no other place that we would stand and we enjoy for all eternity the glory of Emmanuel's land. Till that day, you're trusting in Jesus. He is with you. He is for you a fountain that you can taste now, knowing that there will be a day where you will drink above, that there is an ocean of fullness, an ocean of mercy and love, and that for all eternity, glory in Emmanuel's land awaits you, dear brother and sister in Christ. The name Emmanuel means that the Lord will never leave those who he saves. An everlasting life awaits all those who trust in Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have seen in the course of the events of human history great sacrifices that have been made by others to help others. But none compare to what your Son has done for us in being our Emmanuel, the one who is infinitely rich, became poor, taken a nature like ours, entering our sin-polluted atmosphere, yet not being tainted by sin himself, to take upon himself our guilt, our grief, our sorrows, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our inequities, and has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us and sent his spirit into our hearts now. And he will come again not just to take us to heaven, but to bring us to himself for all eternity. But Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your son who became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. We thank you and rejoice in that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It's in his name we pray, amen.